Welcome to KZMU Radio Book Club, your first Monday of the month. And I'm sitting in studio with my wonderful friends, colleagues. Uh, hello, Jesse from the Grand County Public Library. Hello, everyone. And of course, Alyssa's here with us from Back of Beyond Books. Hi, Alyssa. Hello. We're happy to be back. There's always, you know, a whole month of uh, book news is usually what happens and we build all that up and bring a bunch of stuff and don't get through it all but better more than less right right folks always <laughs> so generally with our uh, book club we start things rolling with what's happening at both the library and the book club there's definitely events happening with us but i think i'm going to go ahead and uh, let Jesse start this off with events on their end, and then we'll talk to you about what's happening at the bookstore, which is going to roll into uh, an interview that we're going to be conducting later on in this hour. So go ahead, Jesse. Why don't you give us a sense for what's happening over there at the library sure, in March? Sure, <laughs> sure. So um, by the time this airs, we will be gearing up to welcome mystery author Scott Graham to the library. And this um, presentation is a collaboration between Grand County Public Library and Back of Beyond Books. How about that? <laughs> um, Scott Graham, winner of the National Outdoor Book Award, has written um, a mystery series all set in national parks, most of them in the West. Um, for example... Some of you might remember the first one takes place in the Grand Canyon called Canyon Sacrifice. There's Mountain Rampage, Yellowstone Standoff. Further along, we have Arches Enemy takes place right here and Mesa Verde Victim. Book six takes place nearby. Most recently, Canyonlands Carnage. Book seven came out uh, in 21. And his new book, Saguaro Sanction, uh, is coming out in a couple of weeks. So we're really excited to welcome Scott Graham. We've got some dedicated readers here in Moab for sure. Um, and his love of the outdoors and his love of our, our national parks is very evident in these well-written uh, regional mysteries. And we're excited to bring him to the library on Friday, March 17th. St. Patrick's Day for some of you at 7 p.m. And that will, um, again, that will be at Grand County Library. Friday, March 17th, the event is free. And uh, come meet Scott Graham and hear him talk about uh, writing mystery books that take place in our national parks. This is a wonderful segue to let everyone know. We're actually going to have Scott Graham with us this evening um, at the bottom of the hour. He's going to come, uh, we're going to do a little radio interview with him about his latest book, Saguaro uh, Sanction. And we're going to spend about 15 minutes with him and let us kind of give us a sense for what this, I think it's eighth in the uh, National Park series. And uh, so keep listening so you can hear that interview. We'll also have him, of course, uh, with us at the Grand County Library on March 17th at 7 p.m. Okay, so what's happening? I've got a few things event-wise. Alyssa, I think I'll go ahead and uh, run through the events. Is there Perfect. anything else from the book bookstore perspective that we want to talk about as far as news? 
news, aside from the events, we are really excitedly bringing in more more titles and more fun gifts as mm-hmm. the spring comes in and they're just it's everything's blooming yes. in this bookstore. So it is really exciting to go in there and see how things look a little bit different and what else is there to discover. And I think that's kind of our big focus this month. Yeah, we have a little pretty bloom going on in the bookstore right now, which is really exciting. We're um, looking to see uh, so many new and fun titles. And mm-hmm. uh, we've gotten rid of a lot of what's what's old to bring in the new. So we're excited about that. We do have a few things happening on March 18th at 6 p.m. The Moab Friends of Arches and Canyonlands, they're sponsoring an event with Douglas Brinkley, whose newest book is called Silent Spring Revolution. We're going to be there, Friends of Arches and Canyonlands. This event is actually at the Moab Arts and Recreation Center. And again, that's on March 18th at 6 p.m. featuring Douglas Brinkley his new book, Silent Spring Revolution. On March 19th, so these we've got literally one entire week of, of events <laughs> at Back of Beyond, which it's like when it rains, it snows, so, so to speak. We are doing the Art in Everyday Language open mic. That's at 7 p.m. at the bookstore on March 19th. And this is in conjunction with a writing class that's actually happening at the Moab Arts and Recreation Center on the 16th at 6 p.m. there at the mark. Um, this is literally a an open mic with uh, this kind of thought uh, seed, I guess you'd say, which is found poetry or, or looking at uh, writing a piece of work that comes from just, you know, everyday language or what you might spot on a sign or what you might spot on the back of a semi-truck. And in, in a way, it's, uh, you know, what we call found poetry. And that's the, that's what's kind of the central focus of the writing workshop that then will feed into the open mic. They're just three days from each other. So again, the workshop marks 16th. You can look for that workshop on the Mark uh, website, as well as ours. You'll see it on ours as well. Um, and then the open mic on March 19th. And I'll actually be uh, the, the teacher for the writing uh, workshop. So that's exciting. <laughs> uh, and then we're going to have Shelly Reed with us for a really uh, kind of exciting. She's a debut fiction author who's actually from Colorado. And she has a new, her, her first book of fiction out called Go as a River. We're going to have her come to a reading and a signing at Back of Beyond Books on March 21st at 7 p.m. And I'm going to go ahead when we do our reviews, our kind of round robin of reviews later, I'll go ahead and, and review that book. And I just finished it this weekend. We're excited to have her come. We want to get as many people um in the know on this book so you can come hang out with us and see her read we haven't had a really kind of like basic standard reading for a little while I mean you know it's it's like COVID sort of disrupted some of that cycle Mm -hmm. and so 
it's interesting to have all these events starting to happen. Is that kind of happening over there at the library too, yes, Jesse? Yes, I feel yeah. the same way. Yeah. Things are starting just just starting to feel like a normal flow. Yeah. Took a took an extra year kind of to get back in gear, didn't it? It really did. And in fact, more and more people are asking. More and more people are wanting uh, in person events, and we're excited to kind of see who to to get on that rhythm again. It's it's been a while. Okay, so that is where we're at with as far as our events are concerned. Let's let's move on before uh, too long because these the hour goes by so fast. Let's talk a little bit about our indie bestsellers. Is there anything on those lists that Jesse, you or Alyssa are excited about? Are reading? Um, let's get let's choose a couple of those and see see what we like. Sure, I've got a couple to mention on the nonfiction hardback bestsellers list uh, for indie book uh, bookstore bestsellers. Uh, we're excited about Greta Thunberg's new book called mm. The Climate Book, The Facts and the Solutions. Our copy should be rolling in any minute, although I can see it's been a hot seller already this week. And then yeah. a book that's been out for a couple of weeks now that I wanted to mention because I feel like it's really important um, is a book by Tracy Kidder who's a nonfiction writer of some renown and his most recent book is called Rough Sleepers um, and it is a powerful story of an inspiring doctor who made a big difference by helping to create a program caring for Boston's homeless community um, and uh, this book has been getting um, some attention needless to say and um, I'm excited. I'm excited for this subject to be addressed with the um, the heart and compassion um, that I believe is uh, Tracy Kidder demonstrates in Rough Sleepers. So I, I just wanted to recommend that one um, to help you understand uh, what's going on out there, even even here in Moab, um, what what people experiencing home homelessness are really going through and ways that and ways that the rest of us can support and address that mm. and that's it Thank for you. me anything over there Alyssa that you've been excited about well the one book that has recently been on the indie bestsellers mm-hmm. uh nonfiction list, but it looks like it dropped off this week, is by the new one by David Graeber mm-hmm. called Pirate Enlightenment. And it is really a deep dive into not pirates in the stereotypical sense that you're p- probably thinking about them when I bring it up, but in um, in the sense of what was really the driving force for uh, pirate culture and pirate uh, societies and and how the these pirate communities really created like a like a true anarchic government almost within themselves that's outside of like accepted society at the time and probably definitely in the present as well and it's just that is really interesting to me you know, when you take out the peg leg part of piracy and that sort of thing, <laughs> but get down to the roots of why it even exists. And it's not just about looting people and you know, taking from those who have lived within a prescribed society, but really about creating something that works better for the people that are involved in that 
pirate community. Yeah. And I'm excited about it. And the book that the one that was on the bestseller list for a long time, what was that one? The his earlier one, um, the history mm-hmm. of. We'll get we'll we'll get back. It, to it's the... going to come right to yes, me. Yes. But it's he wrote that David Graeber yeah. wrote that with another author, and I know we did a review on it yes. by Heidi, and it was really an incredible yes. review. I think, it's and it's an orange cover. The dawn of everything. The dawn of everything. Yes, the history I, of humanity. I thought it would be important to remember that one. Thank as you. Well. <laughs> yes, that one is very important, and I was just picturing the cover because we know that I pay attention to the covers first, and I couldn't remember the title. <laughs> There's a couple mentions that uh, I, I've been thinking about. One I read a couple of weekends ago, Dopamine Nation, and that is by Anne Lemke. Lemke. I think that's how you say her name, actually. Let me make sure. Um, and actually, that one, yeah, Lemke, it's great. I mean... <laughs> It's kind of quirky. It's definitely kind of pop psychology, pop science a little bit, but she she explains the pleasure pain principle and uh, the role of dopamine within that and how we're just being in our kind of modern day society, we're being sort of flushed and then over flushed with dopamine. And she really kind of breaks that down and um, she's great at... It, it it really feels like sound science, uh, but she's also got kind of this kind of a quirky personality. And mm-hmm. so some of the examples are, some are funny, some are sad. I mean, you know, but it, it really gives you a sense for what our, especially modern day technology is, is doing to our little psyches. Mm-hmm. And as far as like how many times a day we can press that kind of dopamine button literally uh, through social media or whatever um and just just that one little like is giving us that and then you know she's talking about how it's it's flushing our system to the point where you know we're kind of going to the other side this kind of pleasure pain idea so that was good and then I was thinking about uh, the book awe have you gotten a copy of Mm -hmm, that mm Jesse in the library sure did Uh, and that one is that one is actually by we had Brooke Williams come in recently and say, hey, you got to look out for this book. So we, of course, we ordered a couple copies and then there you have it. It's, it's, it's right out here on the uh, indie bestseller list now. It's, it's by Docker Keltner. Uh, it's called, literally called Awe, The New Science of Everyday Wonder and How It Can Transform Your Life. I haven't read it, but I love the title. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, in, it's interesting to think of, I know this has been something I hope Brooke doesn't mind me mentioning <laughs> that he's pretty much studies awe, this mm-hmm. idea of awe. And so to see a book come out like that and, and kind of give us a sense for, um, you know, from a sort of like scientist perspective, I don't know exactly what he's saying in there, but I think it's intriguing. What do you think, Alisa? Alyssa? I think that... W- people in general, you need a sense of awe and wonder in order to kind of weather anything else that comes your way. And so having a scientific um, baseline for that, and so it doesn't feel, um, it doesn't feel like you're, you're, 
I can't think of the word that I'm trying to say. Like indulgent. That's the word. It doesn't feel indulgent to seek out awe. It feels very necessary. Mm -hmm. And I think a book like that really helps kind of drive home why it is necessary and not indulgent to seek out awe. Yeah. It's a basic Mm -hmm. desire. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, we have a little bit of time to do... We, we want, I think I want to get us started as quickly as we can on some reviews because we're going to break that up a little bit with an interview uh, today. So let's start with Jesse and get uh, a good review in before we do our interview. We, we might be able to get all three of us in. We'll see what happens. <laughs> all right. My dear coworker colleague, Ray, uh, has recently read a book that is called We Had a Little Real Estate Problem, The Unheralded Story of Native Americans and Comedy by Cliff Nesteroff. She's enjoying this book so much. Um, I got her to write a little review so that I can share it with you. First of all, I'll read you a little blurb from the back of the book. It says, it was one of the most reliable jokes in Charlie Hill's stand-up routine. He said, my people are from Wisconsin. We used to be from New York, but we had a little real estate problem. Uh, yes. And so uh, he's a comedy, a Native American comedy historian, Cliff Nesteroff. He looks at how Native Americans have been denied representation in the entertainment industry uh, for more than a century and how emerging new voices are seeking change, beginning with the 1880s when Native Americans were forced to tour in Wild West shows as an alternative to prison. Um, One modern comedian said that it's as if Guantanamo detainees were suddenly forced to appear on X Factor. Um, Anyway, this uh, Ray's Ray's got a really great description of the book so far. She says it's an important book, profile of Native Americans in comedy, full of inspiration, sprinkles of humor and stories from our history, which are not often told and are easily forgotten. Not only the content, but the structure of this book keeps me telling myself just one more chapter. It oscillates from personal stories to intense history lessons to lines that made me laugh out loud. Those laugh out loud moments prompted me to look things up, such as New Moon Wolfpack Auditions, which is a Twilight spoof done by a comedy group called the 1491s. (laughs) The intense history lessons include things that I had never heard about, like the 19-month-long protest of 1969 in which Native Americans took over Alcatraz Island. Mm. Telling the stories of numerous individuals' personal paths towards comedy this book is sure to motivate you to chase your dreams through these stories we see people's ability to find humor in the horrible hope in the face of despair futures full of possibilities in the wake of dreadful pasts and having a voice in spite of a severe lack of representation it's funny it's sad it's educational and set she says it is not underlined to be missed she gives it a solid 10 out of 10 and that book is called we had a little real estate problem from uh, 2021 by cliff nesteroff and you can find a copy at the library if you're interested we love that book too (laughs) yes thanks ray i I love getting our little voices from from the library those that may not want to come on to the (laughs) (laughs) program but we can get their reviews which is great thanks ray all right Alyssa. Next. What? Yes. Okay. The book that I just started yesterday, which I have been very excited about, is called Everything I Need I Get From You, How Fangirls Created the Internet as We Know It. And it's by Caitlin Tiffany. 
I believe it just recently came out, so it's newly published, but this book, um, perhaps if you too are a One Direction fan, you will recognize <laughs> the title as the, the as the name of one of their songs, <laughs> So, and it's definitely one of the lyrics in their songs, which I've also been really fascinated by recently, the amount of books that are coming out with song lyrics as titles. Mm-hmm. That's a different conversation. Um, I was going to mention that, actually. Yeah. I was going to have you just at least make a nod to that. Yes, it's happening so much. And I notice it all the time because I listen to a lot of music and a wide variety of music. Mm-hmm. And then I'm seeing these new books come out. And it's it's song lyrics, like whole lyrics. It's really interesting and it's obviously working for the authors so there's that (laughs) and then this is another one everything I need I get from you so this author uh Caitlin Tiffany starts off detailing how she wasn't like initially in the fore of One Direction fandom and how where she was in her um late teens early 20s when One Direction was really like beating down everyone's door it it just caught her at a good time and then she found herself in these fan spaces and that is kind of like the loose background but really what she's going into which I find so fascinating is the this fandom in particular but so many other fandoms before and since have really impacted the way that social media works the way that different sites like Tumblr and Twitter and Instagram, like the way that they are formed and continue to evolve in large part has to do with what these fandoms are doing and what they're focused on and the way that they share information constantly hmm. about whoever it is and in particular One Direction, but insert whoever into that little bubble. And Buffy. Buffy. <laughs> Taylor Swift. <laughs> Just one word. <laughs> exactly. Okay. But particular to One Direction yeah. is it was also just this perfect storm of when different social media platforms were really coming out and becoming available to the average person. And it's incredible the way that it has impacted what we see and like the way that ads work on these sites now is so deeply impacted by what was going on between 2010, 11 and 15, like all in there when this was just exploding and people had no idea, like, how is this happening? And it's mm. fandoms on the internet. And it's, it's a really interesting book so far and I'm really excited to finish it. It makes me think a little bit of kind of old school, old school Comic-Con. Mm-hmm. where that's where you could really, you know, flesh out that fandom, right. really go into that, that fandom, phantom, fandom. Mm-hmm. Um, for our listeners, who is One Direction? One Direction is uh, a boy band that um, was formed by Simon Cowell off on the X Factor. Zizzy's five boys that the Simon Cowell decided really couldn't make it on their own but if he could just push them into the super band of boys then (laughs) they could go all the way and they lost X Factor and that's also a part of this book they did lose that contest and it did not matter Mm. they it was their fans watching this that said you didn't lose anything we will take you there and they did and they did Mm -hmm. wow fascinating 
Well, it looks like we're approaching our 5.30 hour, and I think what we'll do is go ahead and cue Scott Graham up for a fi- about a 15-minute interview, but I do want to introduce him really quick as far as um, kind of who he is, and I think that a lot of our listeners most likely have heard of him, but he's an author of of course, this what has now become an acclaimed National Park mystery series featuring archaeologist Chuck Bender and Chuck's spouse, Janelle Ortega. Uh, and in addition to the National Park mystery series, Scott is the author of five nonfiction books, which I actually wasn't aware of um, until now, including Extreme Kids, winner of the National Outdoor Book Award. Uh, Scott is also an avid outdoorsman who enjoys backpacking, river rafting, skiing, and mountaineering. Uh, He's made a living as a newspaper reporter, magazine editor, radio disc jockey, and coal-shoveling fireman on the steam-powered Durango-Silverton-Narrow-Gauge Railroad. He does actually live with his spouse, who is an emergency physician in Durango, Colorado. So welcome, Scott. Well, wonderful. Thanks. Happy to be here. Yeah, you're sitting here with Alyssa from Back of Beyond Books. Hello. And, yes, and Jesse from the Grand County Public Library. Hi there, Scott. Great. Scott, I've already introduced you, uh, a little okay. bit of your bio. And so we're going to just kind of uh, get right into this little 15-minute interview that we are excited to have you here on air. It's great. Great to have you here. Oh, I'm so happy to do it, of course. Thank yeah. Um, now, we're, of course, here talking about this is your eighth. Am I correct in saying this is your eighth book in this mystery series, the National Park Mystery Series? And this one's called, we're, we're, we don't know whether we want to call it Saguaro or Saguaro Sanction. Saguaro Soft G. Okay. Okay, everyone. We got it. Saguaro. Okay, great. Yep. Yeah, that's that's one thing we we wanted to make sure we were saying it right. Um, And did is it the eighth in this series? You're right. It's number eight. Number eight. Amazing. Well, I want to just first start with a kind of an overarching question. And I think one that our list, our, our listenership will perhaps ask at the at the get-go which is basically how did you get here how did you start with this series now you're it's number eight um in this series and of course we know that you've written from our backyard one of the books is called arch's enemy another one called canyonlands carnage and of course those are very close to home but there are others set in um yellowstone mesa verde so just give us an overarching sense for what, how you started with this series. Absolutely. Yeah, basically, um, I was raised here in the same area that you guys are in, in Moab. I was raised over here in Durango. Uh, I've been going to Canyonlands and, and your area since I was uh, a kid, since 1971, I think, was the first time I was in Canyonlands. And I just have a love of the national parks and wanted to share it with people. I also knew that... Um, there are a lot of threats to the national parks, a lot of challenges the national parks face. So I wanted to share that side, kind of the serious side of the parks um, with people, but I wanted to do it in a way that would be fun and enjoyable for them. And I've always loved mysteries. Um, mm-hmm. And so when I when I turned from nonfiction, which is what I wrote 
um, early on and journalism to fiction. I went to writing mysteries myself and decided to, to kind of follow on Nevada Barr's trail, um, who was the, the early mm-hmm. person who did all the Anna Pigeon mysteries, of course, set in the national parks, um, follow her lead and do a series set in the national parks that really gives a sense of place to the parks themselves. Um, and then also discusses an environmental or social justice issue that's specific to that park. But overarchingly, overarchingly is just a, a, a fun, entertaining murder mystery with a, I've got a family who, uh, archaeologist, uh, paramedic and daughters who are out there visiting the park, doing an archaeological dig, uh, of some sort. And then the bodies pile up and away they go as amateur foods solving the crime. So, Basically, through this series, we're pretty much, um, we've got the same characters coming back each time, correct? That's right. So we've got Chuck Bender, Chuck. Uh, mm-hmm. who is a contract archaeologist, and he gets a contract in a park, and generally the contract is during the summertime when uh, his family can tag along, um, and his wife is Janelle Ortega, who mm-hmm. works as a paramedic, and the, the, his um stepdaughters, Janelle's um, daughters. She's come to him as a, as a single mom early on in the series. Um, Carmelita and Rosie have been growing older kind of year by year as the series progresses. Mm-hmm. And so as they've become older, they've taken more of a role in some of the sleuthing and some of the storytelling um, as the series has progressed. But each of the but each of the books, I want to make sure your listeners know, is a standalone book. So um, Fortunately, because the family gets into dire straits, kind of at each park they show up and they've got um, kind of collective amnesia. I love that. Head on to the next park the next summer without kind of remembering how scary the last park was. (laughs) So what can we expect from Chuck and Janelle and family in this new one set in Saguaro, is it National Park? Yes, National Park. Yes, yes it is. Yep. Yeah, it's a, can, it's a two-part national yep. park set on either side of Tucson, Arizona. Mm-hmm. And they are down there looking at, uh, having a look at petroglyphs that um, folks who are familiar, of course, around the Moab area, but also across the Colorado Plateau. We've got such wonderful petroglyphs. And they're also very um, prominent, uh, lots of petroglyphs down in the Sonoran Desert. And um, I actually took from, if you folks are familiar with uh, Tracing Time, Craig Child's yes. um, recent wonderful book with my, with my publisher, with, the, with our shared publisher, Tory House Press, um, learned a lot from that book and kind of took from that and then took flights of fancy with the, the amazing petroglyph find that uh, Chuck is tasked with, with investigating in Saguaro National Park. And then I tied that into a story of um, relatives of Janelle Ortega's, Chuck's wife, who have crossed the border and are part of that um, um, migrant story that is unfolding on our border, um, U.S.-Mexico border, day after day. Mm. And so kind of played those two stories together into a, into a murder mystery. You've even quoted Craig Childs uh, with Tracing Time, uh, the epilogue, this high figure with a duck on its head, brightness rounding into every pecked divot. It looked like it was carrying the sun. That's a great, that's a great quote at the beginning of the book there. Um, let's it's go ahead and beautiful. yeah, let's go ahead and see. Uh, uh, hand it over to Jesse. And uh, Jesse, would you like to ask Scott anything? 
Hi, Scott. Yes, I would. Hi, so, hi. So, I wanted to mention to our listeners that you're also, um, as part of your visit to Moab, uh, in addition to book eight, Sawaro Sanction, you're also going to be talking about book seven, Canyonlands Carnage, which came out while we were still kind of in pandemic shutdown stage. So we're excited to hear that story as well. Um, but I read a little bit about um, your comments about John Wesley Powell um, and uh, as he was the first head of the U.S. Geological Survey after his years as an expedition leader. Um, and I wondered if you could tell our listeners a little bit um, uh, about some of his some of his quotes. He actually quit. Uh, he resigned from that post in protest um, after the policy makers were not uh, paying attention to <laughs> the amount of water that they were uh, allocating. Anyway, I wondered if you could uh, talk a little bit about that in set up, in the setup for Canyonlands Carnage, Book Seven. Oh, you know, I'd love to, and and I'm. I'm looking forward to being able to talk about Canyonlands Carnage uh, when I'm in Moab because folks there are going to know so much more about what I wrote about than I do, and it'll be fun to kind of compare notes. Canyonlands Carnage is uh, what you think of as a, a closed-room mystery with uh, a bunch of folks who go down the Colorado River into Cataract Canyon south of Moab, and um, bad things begin to happen, of course, on the expedition as tends to happen in murder mysteries. Mm -hmm. And they're looking around the campfire and they're realizing, well, if all these bad things are happening and there's no one else around but us, then one of us must be the person making these bad things happen. <laughs> so, so that's kind of the premise of the, of the, uh, the, the mystery. But what I've got are water policy makers going tasked with going down the, uh, the river, a la, um, uh, the the Archduet book that John McPhee wrote long ago with David Brower mm -hmm. and um, the the uh, Floyd Domini, head of the Bureau of Rec, where they were kind of head to head trying to figure out how to whether or not to dam the Colorado River, how to use the Colorado River waters. And so I've got this group doing that, and in the midst of it, then I am able to tell that story of the history of John Wesley Powell, the mm -hmm. the first um, you know white explorer down the river. Uh, the first to, to emerge and, and tell the wonders of the Colorado River and the Colorado Plateau back east. And then as a result, he was, he was you're right, named to the U.S. Geological Survey. And after his expedition years were over, was, was tasked with describing to, to studying out in the southwest and, and telling Congress how much uh, development really the southwest could absorb, it could handle. And he became dismayed when um, he was basically ignored in terms of him describing to them how little water there was, how difficult it would be to, and how, and how, you know, tough things would be for people who, who overdeveloped that here. Um, he finally got to the point where when he resigned in protest, he said, quote, in his final speech, you are piling up a heritage of conflict and litigation over water rights, for there is not sufficient water to supply the land. Uh, so basically, 150 years ago, he was talking to us about exactly what's going on today with the with the draining of Lake Powell, with the with the the fights that are going on over the water for the Colorado River. Exactly, exactly, really powerful. Thank you for describing that a little bit. Uh, I guess I had one other question for you about um, the character Chuck Bender. It seems to me like he evolves um, as a as a human over the course of these books and stories as a, a partner and as a parent. I wonder um, if you could talk, talk to us a little bit about how um, you've uh, helped him to develop over the, over the course of these years. 
I'm, I'm glad to hear that you feel like maybe he's evolved from that's certainly <laughs> what I've been that's certainly what I've been trying to do with him um, and you know what what you try to do in a, of course in a in a mystery series is throw the kitchen sink at your protagonists at your at your heroes and 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 therefore create as much conflict as much trouble for them as you can and so at the beginning of the series in my case I had Chuck Bender, this this uh, established established bachelor who had just been a loner mm-hmm. for a couple of decades and um, was really comfortable, kind of in his own skin as an archaeologist and and just working alone. And then, lo and behold, he he, he hires a young archaeologist um, who introduces Chuck to his sister, and that's Janelle Ortega. They have a whirlwind romance, and all of a sudden, Chuck goes from being a uh, um, bachelor to being the dad of a couple of young, precocious, uh, stepdaughters. And he's trying to figure out how to be a good husband, um, to, to Janelle as well. And, um, so I definitely wanted to start him out as being a clueless kind of a guy. And part of that, of course, was protection because I raised two sons. I was an at home dad for a lot of years. My wife was a physician. And so she was, um, working all hours in the emergency room. And so I was the main person who raised a couple of boys, but I had no clue how to raise girls. So I thought, okay, if I throw a couple of girls at this guy and then he doesn't know what he's doing as their stepdad, then I, that gives me cover. Right. Um, <laughs> but over time, you're exactly right. I've tried to have Chuck develop into a fuller human being who, um, has a little bit more awareness of what it takes to be a parent. And, um, and he's kind of had to learn to, to temper his views a little bit. He's got quite a temper early on. Um, he's, he's um, hopefully learning to be a better human being through the series as well. I love it. Amazing. Along with your clear love for the outdoors and um, your experience in the, in the wilderness, um, I think that's another detail that makes these books really rich, mm. is that this is a person who's growing and evolving in ways that many of us can relate to in our lives. I'm, I'm really appreciate hearing that because that's certainly been one of my goals. Excellent. Scott, this is Sherry again. How much time do you sure. spend? How much time do you spend in each park doing research for these books? I, I've learned over time um, that what I will do is go to each park where I'm going to set the uh-huh. next book for about a week. Nice. Right before I start writing, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's true that everything now is available online. So you can sit there and you can kind of just concoct everything from from online research if you so choose. But that that week um, right before I start writing is so helpful to me, I find, because mm-hmm. every one of my books, I try to take the reader into the backcountry. Mm-hmm. away from the pavement into some so a good part of the adventure i hope is, is you know i want to take place away from the roads where for the most part people who visit national parks don't have the chance to go and a lot of my readers may not have the chance to go to some of these places there aren't a lot of folks who have the chance to raft down cataract, cataract canyon, canyon for example yep um and and that's something i've done a number of times and so i'm i want to share that with people and what i've learned is that the the, the most realistic way I can do that is to go to that park, um, smell the smells, um, see the sights, walk the same trails that I'm going to set the adventure in right before I start writing. And then I'll go sit down and start writing. And then, and then it's just constant research. You know, the big problem for, I know for me and anyone I talk to who does kind of reality based, um, writing is you can spend your whole time avoiding writing by doing research and going down the various internet rabbit holes. So, so my goal is to not too much of that, but rather really focus on that story and tell the feel, give that feeling of place from that park from having just visited. There's a a whole group out there, a, a very 
I think, impassioned group uh, that we call the mystery reader. Mm-hmm. And I can't tell you how many times we we get that the traveler coming through our little bookstore and their big question is, I need a mystery set locally. And so we, you know, we're very proud we, when we can just walk over there and, and uh, you being in the mix of, of these mysteries that they're just ready for, they're craving, they need something that they're going to take with them down the river or out on a hike. Or I, I imagine a lot of these copies being quite torn up <laughs> because they go out, you know, they go out in the, in the pockets in the backpacks. Pages full of sand that, and that's smashed. What I hope. That's yep. exactly Pages what full I hope. of sand and smashed bugs. Yes. yes. <laughs> Dog-eared. Right. And, yeah. and and I've heard that from lots of readers. And that was certainly, as you, I mean, you can tell from looking at it, that was certainly the goal of these books. Yeah. Is, is to um, to be able to turn people on to these places that all of us who who are lucky enough to live here um, mm-hmm. near these national parks know and appreciate about them. And um, so, yeah, they they I've been humbled and honored by how much mobile bookstores near the national parks that I've written about have embraced the books mm-hmm. and have enjoyed sharing them with others. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, there's, a, there's a couple of bookstores close to national parks where, where my books are, have been the best-selling books they've got that year in their Amazing. stores. And it, it's really exciting for me to have that going on because yeah. it's um, that was the goal, yeah. to, to get this stuff out of people's hands and get them loving and appreciating the national parks as much as I do. Well, in, in closing, Scott, is there anything that you want to uh, let our listeners know before you come and join us on March 17th at the Grand County Public Library? I, I would just welcome everyone to show up with questions. I, um, I'm happy to talk. What happened, a lot of folks like to come and just talk about the writing process. I'd also like to share with folks that I'm happy to talk about Tory House Press also, which is my publisher, Craig Child's publisher. Um, other folks in the in the uh, Moab vicinity are, are being published by Tory House Press, which is the only nonprofit environmental publisher in the Intermountain West. And they are just, I've been fortunate to be with them from almost the beginning, of course, the name Tory House Press. They're based in Tory, Utah, just across the river from y'all and up in Salt Lake City. And, and they are just doing a phenomenal job of um, publishing works that really, really respect and speak to public lands, preservation, uh, conservation. And they're just a remarkable publishing house. And I couldn't be more proud of my association with them. And that's another subject that we're out of time to talk about today, but I'd be happy and look forward to talking about more um, on March 17th. That's wonderful. We love Tory House, of course, and Tory House is essential in our minds to uh, the books that we have in the bookstores. So, well, thank you, Scott. And uh, thank you. We will see you soon. Thanks a lot. I will be looking forward to it. Okay. Take care. Thanks. All right. That was Scott Graham. As you may have noticed, he is going to be joining us at the library on March 17th at 7 p.m. to do a little reading. And it sounds like he is um, ready to take your questions and discuss his writing process, his uh, Tory House Press, his publisher, as well as his National Parks Mysteries. Um, Thank you so much, Sherry, for calling Scott for us. Yes. Excellent. Thanks, Jesse, uh, for the follow-up there. And we have about, about 10 more minutes. Let's get our flash 
rounds going, uh, book review rounds going. I think it's your turn. I We're think ready it for is. You. Yeah. <laughs> I actually want to talk about, so we mentioned earlier that we've got Shelley Reed coming. Uh, she's a debut fiction author who is out of Colorado. She's just written a book called Go as a River. We have her coming for a reading, signing, and conversation on March 21st at 7 p.m. at Back of Beyond Books. I just want to read a little bit about, I did read her book this weekend, is just barely out. And her publicist called us a little while ago, and she was specifically wanting to come our way. She knows our bookstore and loves our bookstore. So this is a book that in my mind harkens back to Willa Cather. Have either one of you read Willa Cather? My Antonia, um, Song of the Lark. I am pretty certain those are the books that I faked reading in high school, <laughs> if I'm being honest. No, completely. I was supposed to, but I didn't. Yeah, there's definitely <laughs> a little niche in there. And it is uh, great American literature, so to speak. And I did read those uh, more in my mid-20s. And if I'd say there that, that there is anyone who's writing as a modern-day Willa Cather, and if any of our listeners, their ears perk up because of that, they need to come to this, this reading. Uh, she is a writer who is writing um, about place in the way that I think Cather did. But this place is a little town in the 40s, 50s, 60s, Colorado called it's a town called Iola that actually ends up being flooded her and her family grow peach trees in this area and I'm going to just read you a little bit uh, from the actual uh, prologue in the back of the book this is a story about 17 year old Victoria Nash who actually runs the household on the family peach farm and the, she's the sole surviving female in a family of troubled men. And then she meets this young, um, this this kind of drifter, I guess you'd say, named Wilson Moon, who has a mysterious past and is displaced from his tribal land. And he's determined to live as he chooses. Uh, Victoria encounters Will by chance on a street corner, a meeting that profoundly alters both of their young lives, unknowingly igniting as much passion as danger. When tragedy strikes, Victoria leaves the only life she's ever known, flees into the surrounding mountains where she struggles to survive in the wilderness with no clear notion of what her future will bring. This was actually inspired by true events surrounding the destruction of the town of Iola in the 60s, Go as a River is a story of deeply held love in the face of hardship and loss, but also of finding courage, resilience, friendship, and finally home where least expected. And I've been really interested. This They are really uh, touting this book. I've seen it in Kirkus Review. I've seen it in Publishers Weekly. She's at Winter Institute, which is um, an educational uh, conference for booksellers in Seattle doing interviews and, and lectures. So her, her publisher, Spiegel and Grau, are excited. We're excited. I think that this is definitely of our demographic. She, the, the character in the book 
evolves and ends up finding place just as Willa Cather's Antonia did. And so I think it's, um, it's really going to reflect this kind of modern day um, place oriented fiction. So that's Shelley Reed, Go As A River. She's going to be with us on March 21st at 7 p.m. at the bookstore. Alyssa, what are you reading? What are you going to review? Well, I actually read my very first Terry Tempest Williams book. Ooh. I know. I picked up a couple at the same time. <laughs> and read them simultaneously. And read a lot of it simultaneously. <laughs> but the first one that I finished by Terry Tempest Williams is Leap. And I was, um, I think, most drawn to this one because of the the subject matter in this particular one it's it's another um nonfiction memoir type book um she's really wrestling with her experience of faith and spirituality as it relates to how she was raised as it relates to the experiences she's had as an adult as it relates to the larger world around her and it's all within the context of this painting that she has gone to Spain to visit. And um, now the, that I'm trying to the tell Bosch, you, thank you, the Bosch, the Bosch painting, the Bosch mm -hmm. triptych. Yes. Yeah, the triptych. Mm -hmm. And it rep I mean, and it shows uh, heaven or paradise and hell, and then the space in between, which is what, you know, where we are, basically, is kind of the general idea of this triptych. And it her ability to really deeply analyze and not critique, but appreciate so deeply um, this, uh, this very old painting and bring it into her, her personal experience and the modern world and global experiences of faith. It was it was really fascinating and she I just loved the way that she was able to articulate um, kind of the collective as well as the individual experience of um, like family ties and the religion that you're born into and then kind of the the way that you make that your own as you get older and I she just was able to put into words a lot of things and feelings and questions that I feel like I've always had for myself as an adult. So it was really appreciated that she could just write it for me. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. You know, I always say that Leap is uh, Terry going bird watching in a painting. Mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of that where she's just sitting there and and considering her life in it in response to this 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 really interesting surreal uh, triptych that Bosch did yes you know. and that's definitely one of my favorite parts of this book yeah. is she has a real naturalist eye yes for when in within this, the painting within the painting yeah. whereas yeah I don't like I I wouldn't bring that to viewing a medieval or renaissance era painting it just is not yeah. where my brain starts or ends or goes <laughs> and but to have that and to have her naturalist eye be kind of a, like an overarching theme of this painting and the depth of the painting itself that she's able to bring out for you is really incredible mm. 
Thank you. That's Leap by Terry Tempest Williams. Jesse, what is your final review of the of the day? I've got a really great graphic novel to recommend to you. Uh, it is called Shubiak Lubiak. It is by <laughs> D- Dina Mohammed. She is an Egyptian, and this is her uh, debut graphic novel. She's the author, the illustrator, and the translator into English. Wow. It was originally in Arabic, obviously, and it reads... Uh, right to left so sort of like mm. manga mm-hmm. um, in Japanese anyway um, even the panels read right to left which was uh, takes a little bit of getting used to but this delightful book is called Shubiak Lubiak which in Arabic it literally means your wish is my command which is what the genie says when you let him out of the bottle and that is what this book is about wishes so in this um, alternate uh, uh, Egypt um, wishes, actual genie in a bottle wishes are mined in the Middle East and are have been contro- are being controlled and have been commodified by the government. Most poor people can only afford third class wishes, which the government has just outlawed because they tend to backfire. For example, you wish to lose weight with a third class wish, your arms and legs just might fall off. <laughs> or you might wish for a fancy car, but it uh, appears in the middle of your house and ruins everything. <laughs> They're not, they're really not safe, but that's all for, that's all the, the poor folks, regular folks can afford. Um, meanwhile, first class wishes are more reliable, but very, wow. very expensive and out of reach for most ordinary Egyptians. They must be registered and licensed with the governments all over bureaucratizing everything. So we follow three ordinary Egyptians as they struggle with how to deal with wishes. A poor widow saves for years to buy a wish, and she but she's directly thrown in jail by bureaucrats who are determined to cheat her out of it. A young privileged college student suffering from depression buys himself a wish, but then he agonizes for months over how best to use it. Would wishing yourself to be eternally happy r- actually ruin your life? Would it? He he realizes that that would probably. Um, result in a hollow life and, and render him unable to relate to others emotionally. So he agonizes for a long time. He actually makes a pretty good choice in the end of, <laughs> at the end of his little story. And the third fellow that we follow is a street kiosk vendor who believes that his religion prohibits him from using the wishes himself, but he tries to get an old friend to use a wish to get healthy again, and he's flabbergasted when she refuses again and again. It's beautifully illustrated. Um, really, uh, one of my favorite things is when the genie comes out of the bottle, when the wish comes out of the bottle, it's uh, all, it's, a, it's sort of a human shape, but all in Arabic script. It's really beautiful, hard for me to describe. And the scenes of daily life on the streets of Alexandria and Cairo oh. and small towns in between are really beautiful. The characters are all relatable, no matter what part of the world you're from. Uh, it's been called by some re- reviewers one of the most subversive books that they've read. I think that the wishes seem like metaphors for personal agency, for autonomy, uh, wealth, mm. you know, mm-hmm. wealth is needed to control your own destiny sometimes. And um, anyway, definitely a book that's made me think, I, I think and wonder a little bit uh, besides just really enjoying the story and the artwork. I'll be looking for more from Dina Mohammed. Whose mm. new graphic novel is called Shubiak Lubiak. And again, that means your wish is my command. Mm. Yeah. I love when authors take that on. Something that just comes out of mythology or from our childhood or, mm-hmm. you know, what would I wish for? 
and then they take it on as like a reality, you know, something that, well, what would the reality look like? You know, I love that. Uh, so we are about to the hour of our closing. I think I'll go ahead and just mention the Laugh Out Loud book I read this last week is called Big Swiss by Jen Began. And it's a great cover. I can't say as I, I don't even know how to explain the cover in a way, but. Uh, if you Google Big Swiss, you will <laughs> yeah. find the cover and it is for sure a cover you should make a choice by. It's, it's got, incredible. It's got some um, comparison, I think, to Moshveg's mm -hmm. Latvona, wouldn't you say? Uh -huh. As far as cover interest. And even the, the I would compare them actually as contemporaries and with uh, some similarities in their uh, prose and their fiction. I laughed out loud mostly because this is a, a, a story of a 40-something woman who's a tra who transcribes for us, actually, not even a psychologist, he's a, he's a sex coach. <laughs> and he ends up, uh, she ends up, so she's transcribing, and she becomes obsessed with one of his clients. And this is just really, she goes so deep into like kind of pop psychology, new age, you know, all the way down to there's a sound gong <laughs> in, that, he, that he uses quite often with his, with his clients. And she's able to kind of bring that kind of humor and wit and it's very acerbic, but at the same time, there's this um, arc that is also um, real and beautiful and even a little cozy. So, it, and, and again, I was telling one of my coworkers, I laughed out loud many times. I can't even remember what it was, what, like, what some of the lines were, but I was lying in bed the other night and I literally just laughed for five minutes. So <laughs> it's funny. It's um, contemporary. Jen, this one actually hit the bestseller list last week. So uh, good one. B Big Swiss by Jen Began. All right. I think we've finally done it. This has been Radio Book Club. And uh, we will have our books, the books we reviewed and talked about today, listed uh, where on, on in the library, Jesse? Where on the library's website? Oh, we can find us mm -hmm. um, under library services. And then um, under that tab, find a good book. Okay. You'll find links to Radio Book Club mentions, uh, among other things. Excellent. And we generally have these listed on bookshop.org. Generally, generally speaking, we do. I think we said that every, every month. We will. We will try. We're doing it. And, um, <laughs> and then to find the archive, it ends up in a forever archive on Friday afternoon on kzmu.org. And then, of course, it is also a podcast that you can search for on Apple or Spotify, and it's under the Public Affairs on KZMU uh, programming. So thanks again. We're, we loved being here with you, and uh, we'll sign off and see you next month. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. You can hear Radio Book Club live on the KZMU airwaves every first Monday of the month at 5 p.m. Find archives and book mentions at kzmu.org. <laughs>